0: Yo, 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 what's happening, everybody? Welcome to the LTK Show. My name is Luther Kangas, and on today's show, man, we got ourselves a pretty doggone good guest. We just got done recording. It was a good time. He shared some awesome stories and just some great insight about his career and, th- you know, a little bit of adversity that he battled and, um, yeah, man, fun stories. Ryan Carter, um, former White Bear Lake Bear slash... Mankato State Maverick slash New Jersey Devil, Anaheim Duck, Minnesota Wild member. Um, yeah, he joined the show for for a while. Um, him and my buddy, Eric Onkstead, both went to Mankato State. So they shared some some fun little stories from college as well. Um, and yeah, it was just awesome insight, awesome stories. Really appreciate the time, Carts, um, for, for doing that. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the ltk show with ryan carter all right man uh, a little warm up to get her going a couple randoms we'll start out with wayne gretzky or mario Lemieux. who you got
1: mario I, i like mario i mean he was just so fluid he was big but i mean he was uh he was prime time too i know it stings a little because and maybe that's part of the reason why i mean growing up minnesota hockey fan the north stars and mario was kind of the dagger there what was that 1990 so yeah early 90s yeah yeah that one stings a little bit but maybe that's where i learned to respect him just a little bit more but uh yeah i always liked him he's he was so smooth and the game just seemed so easy than having to battle cancer and, and come back and play again and pick up kind of right where he left off i mean uh i think had he played as long and as many games as, as gretzky uh I mean, I think maybe he could have made a run for some
2: of those records.
0: Yeah, man, I'm with you. I'm kind of surprised. I thought you were going to go I thought you are going to go Gratz
1: for sure. But... We thought
2: you'd go with the lefty.
1: <laughs> well, Mar- man, I'm telling you, just the way Mario played, maybe I'm, because of the way I played, I'm just way more jealous of it now. Like, he was just so smooth. He was I- a
0: monster, too. Like, just strong, skilled, like... Yeah. yeah. He,
1: he could do it all. Obviously, he made everybody around him better, too, but he, he excelled in those big spots. I mean, I, I just loved watching him, and i when i played the game it was choppy you know like i is is all like power force like have to be there fast like hit somebody i just i just envy people that played the game so smooth and with their mind easy right yeah yeah Yeah, no doubt um how about favorite non-wild nhl sweater Boy, this one, again, so the early 90s, I guess I came up through this time, but um, the Boston Bruins, I I like the B-Wheel, and I loved the Bruins, Cam Neely, those guys, NHL 93, I was always the Bruins. Um, (laughs) I think that's where I learned to love that jersey. Love it. Love it. Good stuff. Um, Into music now, who's your favorite band? Favorite band? For me, it's like what? It's like the newest flavor, but I'm kind of like an alternative rock guy, so um, I, I like bands like Passion Pit, um, stuff stuff in that genre. Um, I, I don't know if you know who Passion Pit is. But. I do not. Okay, yeah, check it out. Um, pretty good.
0: Okay, are you into uh, what is it? Uh, Tragically Hip, then?
1: Kind of, kind of similar to that. Yeah, like I like a little electronic beat, kind of, but with. Uh, some some good music and singing to it too. So, but tragically hip is certainly good. Yeah, but they're you know they're Canadian, so I can't I can't like them too much. <laughs> uh,
0: um, all right. So along those same lines, you're in a rock band. What are you? Are you the lead singer, lead guitar, bass, or drums, or something else?
2: For instance, Luther's tra- probably going to be doing tambourine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the triangle. Luther's the tambourine. Gosh, what would I be? Probably the drums, just because all I'm good for is beating things, you know? <laughs> uh <laughs> you could
2: go a lot of ways with that. <laughs> Don't get cute with that one.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, man. What's your look? You got like long hair, bandana, you doing ball cap, what do you what are you rocking out there?
1: What one hundred percent I've got a bandana. Uh I'm one of those guys and again I'm jealous of the guys that don't perspire when they when they work out or do anything physical because as soon as I start moving it's like I took a shower so I'd certainly have a (laughs) bandana on uh try to keep myself dry just beating um
0: last one this one's food related so you walk into your favorite breakfast spot what's your order like what's your whole order what are you going with
1: Gosh, I'm just—it's—I'm just so simple, and I think it's because I love McDonald's breakfast so much. But it's it's going an, Mickey D's, wow! It's an egg sandwich. I wow. I, and I, I do love. Uh, it has to be on the English muffin, nice fried egg, and then you get some good ham. And I don't mind if they get a little fancy with it and put some. You know, some of that, like, arugula or a little bit of lettuce and, or, you know, greenery on there make me feel like I'm not killing myself. Halfway but, healthy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Get uh, some but, greens in you. Yeah, that's probably it. The only, I mean, and I don't know why. So, a lot of breakfast foods for me are just easy to make at home. And the complex ones just aren't that appealing to me. So, just a well-executed, simple breakfast sandwich is my go-to.
0: Huh, you doing that uh, OJ there, that sugary OJ?
1: no uh no, no oj i've never been a juice guy coffee coffee black Uh uh-huh if it's real early in the morning i always wake up with a super dry mouth i think after breaking my nose a thousand times i'm a mouth breather at night so if it's real early i'm gonna need a big (laughs) glass of water
0: uh man you dipping into one of those hash browns they got or an apple pie
1: yeah yeah i certainly bury the hash browns but i probably have to limit that to just one um, you know, those, uh, those can sneak up on the waistline. <laughs> Bury it. Great. Yeah.
0: Uh, great, man. Love it. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, we'll call that a good warm up. Let's, let's pop into, into your career here. Um, I kind of want to just start, well, let's bring it all the way back. What, uh, what are some of your first, like
1: early hockey
0: memories? How'd you get
1: into it? So... Uh, you guys may know, but the listeners may not. So I'll I'll really get into it. I, I come from a family that has no hockey background or history. Like neither of my folks can skate. Grandparents, uncles, nobody really ever played the game. Uh, I'm simply a product of my environment. So I grew up in a neighborhood where his name was Robin Larson. He played for the Golfers in. Yeah, he uh, coached me one year. Yeah, in yeah, Bantam. Yep, in the seventies and. He was the captain there played for her brooks he had two boys derek and chad larson one was uh derek was probably three years older than i chad just one year older than i and they put a rink out in their backyard and i saw them out there playing and i was like dad, dad dad i want to go out there and play mom I want, let me out there and they're like well we we, we don't know what to do <laughs> so eventually my, my folks got they bought the gear they threw me out the back deck door i, I walked my way over there jumped on the ice. Uh, You know, at at that time, I wrote with my right hand, so my dad thought I was a right-handed hockey player. Uh So I I used the wrong stick for a full season the wrong way. They're like, God, uh, Mike, you know, Ryan's (laughs) a lefty. I think you got to give him another stick.
2: (laughs) Got a hell of a backhand.
1: Yeah, this kid can shelf it on the backhand, but, man, is he terrible on the forehand. So, uh, yeah, really, it's just the earliest memories right there are are walking through the snow in, in the backyard, just going out to a bumpy yellow piece of ice, you know, uh, that, that winter ice on top of the dirt, you know, you just get those mounds, those yellow, dirty mounds, but uh-huh. you learn to skate around them and they're little obstacles out there on the ice. But those are some of my early memories. Nice. That's a, how old was that when you got in, into hockey? So I started, that was probably right around four years old. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Burning around and then out on the hip white bear Lake, uh, again, yeah. another classic little, little venue, uh, chicken wire and, and i have pictures of it like chicken wire yeah on top same cause. here
0: man you get that little solo where you're posing with the stick right and they got the yep the background
1: yeah. yep just a little bear circled bear on the jersey and just pushing a chair around until i figured out how to stand up on my own just classic
0: dude the hippodrome's underrated man i think it honestly makes like white bear i, I don't know i feel like it gives us a little edge with youth hockey just a smaller rank. You don't have to play on that
1: big sheet. Well, I'll tell you one thing. In terms of men's league, it's unbelievable because that big sheet is uh, – when you get older, I don't want to skate as much, so it's nice to play on that hippodrome. We get like the 9.50 hour. So I'm not burning as many calories trying to get up and down the ice, so that's great. But for sure, in terms of developing kids, it is sneaky, too, because there are smaller three-on-three rinks around, like still water I suppose, now. yeah,
0: that's becoming more popular, yeah.
1: Yeah, it now has the lumber yard and others, but I'll be like, yeah, it's similar to the Hippodrome. And everybody looks at me like I'm cross-eyed, and I'm like, wait a you don't know the hip. And uh, yeah, the hip man. has come a long way. They've got concrete down there now. It was just on dirt. Uh, it's obviously never been refrigerated. Uh, I think it's just cooled by outside air, so as long as the elements allow it, there's ice there. But um, th- that obviously would be the next step in in development, and uh, I think it'd be great for the hockey association here in White Bear Lake to have a little three-on-three rink where kids can practice in that that small area year round. Get their
0: skill work, get their hands going. Yep. Yeah. Love it. So <clears throat> talk about like a little bit about your progression, like in youth, were you you know, always like an A player. We always a pretty pretty solid player. Did you have some kind of some adversities
1: as a as a younger kid? Well, again, so I had nobody uh, other than peers to to gauge myself against or to get any type of ad- advice from. So I mean, I played might. I think I was a three year might, and then I jumped into squirts, and um, I think I made the A squirt team. Um, not really knowing, really kind of naive in all honesty. Uh, made a made an A squirt team and i think i could skate and i was uh just by nature always really competitive almost to a fault to where it was a negative thing mm-hmm. um but it, i mean it ended up suiting me well and um uh made the a team but i got cut and, and i don't remember exactly what it was i think i i made uh, a squirt and a then i got cut i did not make the a bantam team um I still like to give our buddy Scott Hamley a bunch of heat for that. I said, You're a fantastic yeah. coach. Maybe <laughs> not the best judge of talent, Hammer. but a fantastic <laughs> coach. <laughs> Hammer axe. Heck of huh? a
2: skate sharpener too, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: yeah. He does he does uh he does put a nice nice clean cut on that steel for me, the best there is. <laughs>
0: so did that fuel you a little bit, like not making the A
1: Batam team like heading into high school, was that was that something that, that drove you? So there's a piece of advice I got. To talk about, And I give a lot of credit to, to Robin Larson and his family. I, I I don't have any success in playing hockey. Uh, I don't think if I don't live in that environment. So I made a B team, and he ended up coaching it. So it was B squirt, and he ends up coaching it. And um, he says, "Hey, listen, it doesn't matter if you make the A team or the B team. Like you're you're nine years old. You're eight years old." Um, He says, what matters is that you just try to be the best player on your team. And if you're the best player on your team, um, you'll be knocking on the door to make the best team or be one of the best players on the next team. And that's, it really just made me focus on just trying to be the best. Like I I could have pouted when I didn't make one of these teams and maybe not put in the effort, Um, but I realized it was an opportunity and uh, it, it took me time to realize that, but realize it's an opportunity to just, hey, I can log a ton of minutes. I get to play in a lot of situations. And yeah um, that was more beneficial to me than making a team. And uh, I know baseball was your jam and I was that other guy. So the, the story for me in baseball was the complete opposite. I was a stud early and I made teams that I shouldn't have and I played up and I didn't get to play in big spots. I didn't get to play in big moments. And I fell out of love with the game and I eventually gave it up. Yeah.
2: We'll yeah. say it worked out for you.
1: yeah i mean yeah fair to say yeah there's always a reason right so i mean you gotta learn all these things and uh, that's what's cool about sport and playing as long as you do you, you you pick up little tidbits of information along the way and uh you know you implement them into your game and your style and your mentality as you move along
0: yeah it's funny that you mentioned baseball being my sport hockey on the flip side for me was like i was always good but i was i was never like one of the top you know five guys in in our grade or anything even close but I remember when I got cut into onto some B teams. It was kind of like you can be the the big fish in the small pond versus you know the the small pond and the big fish, and you can kind of work on your skills and develop and get and get some confidence, like you know at a lower level. So that's that's what helped me
1: moving forward. Yeah, and parents, I think at times parents today with youth sports, it's uh, my kids got to be great today. They got to be the best today, or they're gonna fall behind. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean. I speak to only my own personal experiences, and, and I, I'm not fully invested in what it's like to be a parent in today's youth athletics. But, um, you know, I, I preach patience, and you, your kid doesn't have to be great. If you want them to have a college scholarship, at least in hockey, your kid doesn't have They legit do not have to be good or great until they're 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, like, be patient. You don't know. It's just like a growth spurt. Like, if your kid's not right. huge at 14 years old, are you throwing in the towel? No, you're wait. Maybe they hit that growth spurt at, at 18. You don't 18, really 19, know. 18, 19, yeah. You know, and development for kids in athletics is the same. Um, in, in my opinion, you don't know when those years where they really flourish and grow are going to be. If, if they continue to work and love the sport, they'll eventually hit those years and find those years, and I think that they eventually find their potential. But you do run the risk of burning them out before they find the passion and love to find and ultimately realize their full potential
0: yeah yeah that's a good point man um so heading into high school um what what do you remember about like i guess starting out in your high school experience i think if i remember right as a sophomore you made jv and then you ended up getting called up because i was a senior when you were a sophomore you got called up roughly halfway if i remember right halfway through the season
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's another situation to where I I was just, I mean, I recalled my conversation with Robin Larson, like, yeah, I was bummed out that I didn't make the varsity team, but um, I had a chance to again log huge minutes and make some noise playing JV hockey. And I had a lot of fun. It it was a lot of fun. There was no pressure and it made the transition I think into high school hockey a little bit easier for me. So I, I get caught, I make, make JV and I've got Chris Bloomer and uh, Chris Martin um, uh, or Marty Colchin, and my line mate Lance Millark, who to this day was was probably he's out in in terms of the guys that I played with through my ranks, he was the best player that that has come out of White Bear that I had played with. Um, really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was skilled. I
0: remember he got a little bit of time maybe as a freshman or or sophomore for sure.
1: Yeah, he was smooth. He was skilled. He was smart. He understood the game. Um, I learned a lot from him in terms of like stick position and and he grew up in a hockey family so he had all these little skills and tools that he would use and um, it was frustrating in practice having to go against him because he's just this little unassuming guy but uh, you know he was kind of strong and skilled and smart and um, yeah so I I got to play with him and I was really great benefit because he could find me in spots playing JV hockey it was a little more loose than the varsity hockey and we piled Mm -hmm. up the points and um, you know it was not that it was easy for us, but we had a lot of success down there. And um, I remember this is a funny story. We gosh, we were we were spanking somebody at Alder Arena. This is before the varsity game, and Lance and I probably had, we had piled on like four <laughs> points already. It was it was like seven nothing, and one of our teammates scored, and we didn't stand up and cheer. Um, uh-huh. And I I really didn't think anything of it. I didn't think I was being selfish, and I don't think Lance did either. Well they didn't let us come off the bench when they resurfaced the ice. So it was just Lance and I sitting on the bench as punishment. So we weren't allowed in the locker room. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. so Marty, uh, Marty kept us right there on the bench and everybody's like, what did those guys do? What are they doing? So pretty soon everybody in the building knew why, um, why we were sitting there and is because of, of a selfish moment and not, you know, not being excited for a teammate.
0: Yeah. It didn't support your teammates. Yeah.
1: Yep. And so, Uh, that was our punishment uh we learned our lesson i think we played hard and we played you know as good teammates uh, the rest of that year and then eventually marty goes to to billy butts who was the coach at the time and said hey these guys are they're legitimately they're just way too good to play jv hockey so yeah i mean you got to make a move with them
0: okay so they kind of initiated it to butts and said hey these guys are tearing it up and then so like do you remember like getting the call and kind of your first varsity experience practices games all that stuff
1: Yeah, so when you are that top line of the JV and the bottom line of the varsity, you're like a swing guy. So every once in a while, you still get to practice with the varsity team. And uh, so, I mean, I was familiar with a lot of the guys and having played Bantams with some of them the year before. I mean, that was really easy. Getting into game action was a little bit nervous at the start. Um, But I'll say probably my most vivid memory and another like, wow, I made it moment was and it, it's, it was tough. I learned a lot in this moment. Uh, we're playing in the section final our sophomore year against Roseville, Marty Sertich uh, – or no, I'm sorry, it was Hill Murray. And mm-hmm. we're down a goal, and uh, we got a score. And Butts puts me out there, sophomore. I've only been up half a year. I was playing JV like f- four weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, minute left, and everybody's like, what's this guy doing out oh, there? Oh, you
0: were out there with a minute left?
1: Okay. Yeah, I was I out there minute that. left trying to put nice. one in. and. Um, it was just kind of like, wow. And I think it stirred up a little bit of controversy. Like, what's that dude doing out there in that moment? But at the same time, for me, it was like, hey, okay, you got to learn from this. You know, you can't let some exterior, you know, thoughts or people's feelings about this affect how you play in that spot. You earned it. You're ready for it. You be ready for it and play. I don't think I played my best in that moment, but it was a moment. No one
2: that, was scoring on Kaler anyway. That dude was unreal that day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I, I went and that, over that summer I was like, okay, I made it. I made my jump. I was out there in that moment in that spot, and some people didn't like it. That's okay. Now I've got, you know, now I've got to come in my junior year and prove that I can play. And uh, you know, that junior year we had a good team and uh, we went to the state tournament.
2: Yeah, Moorhead, right? You guys yep. played. Yep.
0: Yeah, talk about that, man. Um, you know, I I was never able to experience a state tournament, but like, what what was that season like, and specifically like making the state tournament?
1: Yeah, that was awesome. So, to to tell that story, uh, I think I had a good junior year, and we go into the playoffs, and we beat Irondale, which I think was probably par for the course. Um, mm-hmm. That was always like the first game, and yep. then you go on and we played North St. Paul, and they had uh, they had some decent players, and uh, I end up taking a hit. Oh, was it North St. Paul or Centerville? Maybe, maybe Centerville. Um, I have to refresh my memory, but I remember the player because I ended up playing with him. Sean Garrity hits me late. We're winning that game. It's over. The game's over. He hits me late with the, with a knee right to my thigh, and I get probably the worst contusion I've had in my life to this day still. Um, I can barely bend my knee. So um, uh, I've got six days to prepare, seven days to pre- prepare for that state tournament, and uh, I just couldn't move around that well. Now I watch that game. This was probably a year or two ago. I watched that state tournament game on uh, youtube i think chris yeah. anderson coaches and he loaded up on youtube i watched it like oh my god i was a terrible hockey player this is so bad <laughs> this is so bad like just swinging everywhere you know it looked like a battleship trying to turn out there um but playing there was was phenomenal and everything you you uh, i mean it's the pinnacle of high school hockey and you also have to remember that the X was just opening up at that time. So I think it was the first or second state tournament at the X. So 18,000 sold out at the X. Here comes White Bear Lake um, playing Moorhead. We were the favorite too. Um,
2: You were for sure.
1: Yeah. And yeah, good, tight game. Uh, Good, tight game. They ended up edging us out and boom, obviously the the story continues where White Bear can't win that first one. Right. Yeah. That one was in OT, wasn't it? Yeah. If I remember right. Yeah, I think it was. and. Um gosh
2: Slats got your goal, right?
1: What if? Yeah. Was it 3 2 or is it just 2 1? I
2: thought it was 2-1 if I remember.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it was 2-1. Okay. Yeah, I think it was 2 1. And yep, Slattery scored the, the, the state goal. Uh then unfortunately, that's what's crazy about the state tournament is your story can be so awesome if you win on and play Friday, Saturday at the X it is so brutal if you end up going over to Mariucci for 11.30 a.m. on Friday. You're playing in front of grandparents and parents. Some of your parents even are just like, I'm not going to take a day of work. I'm going. So, you're like, there's nobody there. And
2: Consolation so, bracket, nah.
1: Yeah, and it's on the big sheet. You know, it's on the big ice. Nobody there. You got to uh, skate. You got to work hard. Yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, man.
0: So, uh, then how about senior year? for you
1: yep so senior year uh again we we had a good team a very competitive team butts is the coach uh par for the course a top 10 team and uh we just the, the same story with within that section is we just couldn't get past hill murray uh we beat hill murray earlier in the year a couple of times but hill seems to find another level um i have to tip my cap to him it, it Drives me bananas to have to say it, but they yeah they they seem to peak at the right time, man. Yeah, and uh, Lechner has I think he has an ability to get the most out of the guys in big Mm -hmm. moments, and I don't know if that's history of the school and how well they've done and the belief in that. And similarly, you know, does White Bear not play their best because they've got some self fulfilling prophecies on, you know, you know, poor efforts or or tough games that first one of the state tournament or section finals. But um, yeah, he'll he'll they, they beat us. Um, we, I mean, I think I had my best high school career game was against Hill. I had six points, one game against Hill and I was like, all right, we're going to do that again. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Closed out, shut down. I had nothing. Uh, (laughs) How (laughs) about this, Ryan?
2: I got, I got something for you. All right. So I know your best friend or one of your very best friends, Chad Larson went to Hill of the aforementioned Larson family. Are you going to send your kids to Hill? Or are you going to send your kids to White Bear, assuming they play hockey? Well, if you
1: guys know Chad at all, he turned out pretty good. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and you know that wasn't always a, that wasn't always guaranteed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, you know, to be out, in all honesty, um, I haven't thought that far ahead. I wouldn't be opposed to sending my kid to a a, a private or a faith based school, um, but uh, you know, I've also learned that i'm i'm not really all that in control of my future Uh, i played 10 years in the nhl for five clubs and i moved when people told me to move so um, (laughs) fair i don't uh i don't forecast my future that far ahead but i I will say i wouldn't be opposed to sending my kid there sure cool so at what point did
0: like how did the recruiting process work for you for like college i know you played what was it one or two years of juniors and like when were you starting to get some some offers or some calls from colleges
2: was it the Buccaneers
1: uh I played for Green Bay
2: oh, oh, the, Green okay. Bay got it
1: yeah, yeah. so the, the way that worked was uh yeah Green Bay's coach came to a game and again um this really is the truth of my story is I had no clue what was going on people would be like are you gonna play junior hockey and I'd be like what's junior hockey I don't know <laughs> and uh Green Bay comes around and they're like we want to offer you a tender and I'm like what's a tender they're like well there's a draft but we want to sign you before the draft we get uh, we get two of these a year and we want to use one on you so uh, essentially you get to pick whether you want to go to Green Bay or not because if uh, you know if you decide you want to play here this is you, you'll play here I was like okay cool that sounds fair I'll sign it um, <laughs> so I sign a tender with Green Bay and I go there after my senior year play a handful of games just get the experience uh, or I should say after my senior year. Uh, season because i did leave for a handful of weeks my senior year uh to go play in green bay uh eventually they lost out i came home finished my schooling and then went there the following year okay and then you played a full season there i played two full seasons there you played two okay i I played one season uh i i'm living with a family so one of the hard things with junior and for me with junior was uh, i packed a car uh, a beat up old Jetta uh, with all my stuff, and having never been there before, no, you know, I didn't have a smartphone, so I printed off some map quest to some address somebody gave me, oh, yeah. and I drive four and a half hours. I knock on the door, and I said, "Hi, I'm here," and I meet the people I'm supposed to live with. Well, it wasn't an ideal living situation. <laughs> yeah, so Yikes. what do you mean? Um, well, you know, the family was the family was really nice, but uh, when you when you live with a billet some people bill it for the right reasons and in my opinion the right reasons are to help a kid out um to support them give them what they need to maybe chase their dreams and Mm -hmm. you know to be a part of that story others are maybe trying to make a couple bucks here and there because i think the club gives them a couple hundred bucks and helps create a revenue stream yeah so uh, I get there and they're like, "Hey, all right, you're gonna do the grocery shopping. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do all that." And I was like, "Okay, I don't know how." I think my <laughs> first meal there, my first meal there was rabbit. Uh, rabbit. Yeah, my first meal was rabbit. Um, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, uh, wow!" You know, all the you,
2: Green Bay stereotypes are real. These oh, Packer yeah. ones. We were out oh, in rabbit,
1: middle of, dude. You got to be kidding me. Uh, no, we were out in the middle of a field. So I, I was out uh, in like a farm community, out in the middle of a field where they had. I think they were raising veal cattle just around, so they'd spray the the waste of these cattle out on the crops, the corn crops too, so it constantly smelt like manure. Oh. Um, I'm eating rabbit. I'm just like, where <laughs> have things going? And then, uh, I, what's the what's the audience for this podcast? Cause it's, it's, whatever. Yeah, go ahead, man. Go for it. it. So, uh, so then there, uh, there's like, a, I have a billet brother, and I always wanted a brother. So, I have a billet brother who's like 14 years old, and he starts blaming everything on me. So... <laughs> I always wanted a brother. Yeah. Uh. So, the uh, he's, growing, he's trying to grow marijuana in the egress windows like it's a greenhouse down in the basement. And he's 14, huh? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh, so, the... The mom and dad come down. They're like, Ryan, you can't be growing marijuana down here. Like, I am not growing marijuana out of an egress window. Because it had, like, the cover, like, the plastic cover, you know? So the kid uh-huh. thought that The was... greenhouse, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he thought it was a greenhouse. So that was one scenario. Uh,
2: and Between then, practicing and grocery shopping and mowing your lawn, I don't have time to grow weed in your egress, dude. Right, yeah. So then the, the other one is there's a
1: family computer downstairs, and the he ends up looking at some x-rated stuff on the computer and he uh-huh. has his tradition he bl- yeah he blames it on me so i have to have this conversation with some people that i've known for a handful of weeks uh, yeah. living in their house she, she pulls me down she sits me down and she's like hey uh you can't be looking at that pornography on the family computer i don't know how you were raised or how you do things back at home As, uh, I literally throw the tea up. I throw the tea up. I'm like, time out. Hold on. Time hold, out. Hold your thought. Hold your. I don't thought. even like brunettes. Hold hold your thought. I walk into my room and I pull out a, a, a laptop that my folks had sent with me, and I walk back out into the living room and I said, if I was gonna look at that stuff, I would use this computer right here. I would not use your family
2: one. Second goes, of all, I know goes, how to delete browser history. So yeah, settle she, down.
1: Yeah, yeah, she goes.
2: Okay, fair enough, Johnny. <laughs> so I was like, that
1: was it, yeah. So my second year, I lived with a different family, and that was an entirely different experience. That was phenomenal. But um, getting back to hockey, uh, I ended up signing a deal with Mankato that year. I almost quit because of that that living situation. I was like, Ma, Dad, like this is unbelievable. Uh, can I just, I just want to come home? And at any point, they're like, Yeah, yeah, you just got to do it. But we're not going to decide for you. you got to do it. So um, I I chickened out, and it's funny how the stars align when they really absolutely need to. And uh, Mankato ends up calling right at that moment, right when I'm getting ready to throw in the towel, and they're like, hey, we we want you to come on a visit. We want you to do this. And uh, my tune completely changed. Wow. Okay. I remember
2: seeing you one of your first days in Mankato, too. Yeah, I think you, you were getting hazed, and I think you were in a leotard. <laughs> Legitimately, and you were so comfortable with it. It was, I'll never forget how hilarious that was. Yeah, like I leotard, probably, you a, like,
1: uh, probably like a, a
2: pink thong bathing suit and a leotard. It was something like that. And I, I remember we were at a drinking establishment, and I know you had had a full day of hijinks. But I remember <laughs> I, I was at the urinal, and all of a sudden, you popped up next to me. I was like, what's up, Carter? You're like, what's up, dude? How you doing? Just comfortable. I was like, that that dude's got it. He's got it pretty dialed in.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, at that, at that point, you just got to own it, right? Like, if you're walking around with a pink leotard, you just got to own
2: it. You did the best you could with it, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so how about – so you get to Mankato, what uh, – what, you know, we were talking before here. I, one thing I'm curious about is like the difference between high school, junior, you know, college, and then into the pros. So like, was there a pretty big jump or adjustment for you getting into getting into
1: college?
2: Yeah, yeah. where's the biggest jump? Is yeah. it from high school to juniors? Junior?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for me it was high school to junior because you uh, you move away from your family. For me, it was the first time I was all on my own. I'm playing with some big boys. Uh, you go from you know high school where you're kind of protected by coaches and family and all that but you're in like a little a little bubble politically Mm -hmm. to where junior you're you're on your own and you're just fighting for everything you got and literally that's what it turned into for me like like man this is this is kind of desperation these these kids are 20 years old they're up to 21 years old they're big they're strong they're chasing me they want my job they want my opportunity and they're willing to like physically take it. So just that um, much more competitive, that much more competitive. And for me, like the, the physical response um, and having to stand up for yourself and, and make a decision cognitively that this is what I want. And this is what I'm willing to do to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the hardest college. And maybe that's why I, I had a good freshman year. Cause I was just fully prepared mentally after making that jump from high school to junior. Um, you know, and again, th- these things don't matter, but they do. I go from a full shield in high school to a visor and I'm fighting and I'm breaking noses, getting my nose broken, losing my teeth uh, to going back to college and putting a cage back on. And I'm Superman. Like, man, I've done this before. (laughs) Sorry guys. You can say whatever you want to me in front of the net now, but you're not going to get me right. Like I'm, I'm not afraid to go there. Uh, And if you're trying to, if you're trying to threaten me, I'll, I'll I'll come there again. I'll show you, you know? So um, what, what was your,
0: uh, your first fight in junior like do you remember that yes i remember it clearly
1: <laughs> um so uh, it was the buck bowl uh, exhibition in junior i didn't know what i'm doing but there's college scouts everywhere um it's it's a good time to make a name for yourself and marco siki's like yeah there's coaches everywhere so i mean some you, you, i'm not telling you to go out and fight but um sometimes they like to see that <laughs> <laughs> So I walk out there, like my, my first game, we we're playing Des Moines, and um, Nate Fornitero, uh he says, let's go. I say, all right, and I have no clue what I'm doing. I've just watched a video of it before. I just grab a hold of his jersey, and I start punching forever. And I remember the feeling of hitting a guy in the face, uh, and I hit him probably five times hard in the face. And I look up over my – I tucked my head right into my armpit kind of. Um, I look up, and as soon as I look up, boom, he's coming with a big right, and it hits me right in the nose boom <laughs> puts my nose right next to my ear uh, <laughs> uh we we're both bleeding we both go to the box i look down at my hand and uh i'd knocked his two front teeth out and i cut the tendon on my right ring finger uh, right wow, at the knuckle so it looked like a worm literally like a white wax worm just wiggling around <laughs> when i tried to move my finger i was like ah, i don't think this is okay so i go back to the, i go back to the bench and i show her the trainer and he's like oh boy so The bus ends up having to take me to the hospital i have uh, a couple of stitches put in my hand they try to sew the tendon um try to fix my nose a little bit and the bus waits there in the parking lot for like three hours for me at the hospital i get on the bus and uh the bus kind of cheers like yeah woo finally let's go home (laughs) so we go home then i have surgery on my hand the next day Uh, i tore that tendon so I was out six weeks to start it all off right after that first fight. Dude, that is a hell of a tilt. <laughs> Holy balls. Well, two guys that didn't know what they are doing. So I ended up playing against that kid's brother. That kid didn't make the team. I played against his brother, and uh, his brother was a centerman. And I would go into the the faceoffs against him. I'd say, hey, I'm going to beat the wheels off you like I beat your brother. And he would, if you win this draw, and he would not put his stick down. I, I was like 200 and 0 against him because he would not put his stick down. <laughs>
2: That means you got his brother pretty good, and his brother told him about it.
1: Well, he was on the bench watching. So okay,
2: so he knows. He yeah, knows what he, kind of he,
1: fury you could bring. He watched it. He probably had to see. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm not even anywhere near tough. But that that day, my, I don't my know, man. Hit that poor guy's face, and it knocked his teeth out. It broke his nose. It was bad.
2: I think he, I think you might be tougher than you think, man. But that line brawl with the uh, what was it, Devils Rangers? Yeah, Devils Rangers. Yeah. You had was it you and Bickle? Yeah. Me and, I yep. mean, dude, you, you gotta be kind of tough to take that horse on. Anyway, I, I don't I think we'll probably talk about that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll I don't want to jump on we, anything.
0: Yeah, we'll tease that, huh? Yeah let's 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 tease that. We'll delve into that later. Um what before we wrap up college, what like what stands out to you from college? Like what what are some good memories or things you learned?
1: Uh college college is when I, I think I actually started to believe I was a player. Um Like you well, could make a, a career out of it. Well, so growing up, I never, and I, I say this often, I never, a goal of mine was never to play hockey in the NHL. It, I just believed everybody when they said, you know, boy, the chances of making it to the NHL are so small. Like, just, you know, be very thankful if you can just find a way to get your schooling paid for, you know, like if you could play Division One hockey. So mm-hmm. all I did was, uh, I grew up, all I want to do was play college hockey and, You know, I wanted to be a golfer. That's, like, the number one thing I wanted. But um, I ended up going to Mankato uh, where I got to play big minutes and in big spots. And I got to run a power play, score some goals, and it was awesome. And uh, it was that freshman year I came on. And my first weekend I scored a big goal against North Dakota who had, you know, a pretty storied program. And some of the big guys that I'd played junior against, like Matt Green, um, you know, Big names, big advancement. Yep. They had big, mean D, too. And I scored, took it to the net, hard score, and it was like, all right, I'm here. Um, yeah. What, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, went from there. And then my, my sophomore year, professional teams um, started, like, knocking on the door. And I was like, wow, teams are really there. I mean, I could tell that story, too. Um, but, yeah, teams are like, yeah, yeah, w- w- you want to play? What's your, what's your thought? Do you have an agent? And um, uh, I'll, I'll tell this story quick. Um, Dan Plant's an agent and he had talked to me he called me my sophomore year and he's like hey do you have an agent I was like no I don't need an agent what <laughs> the hell do I need an agent for and I, um, I just ended up telling him he, I golfed with him like three years ago and he's like yeah I called you I was like do you, want, you know, do you want representation can I meet you and you just you shot me right down and said no I've got no plans on playing pro hockey like I'm just trying to be a good college player so I got no need for an agent and you hung up the phone. <laughs> so then uh, uh, there, these professional teams are calling me directly. They're like, do you have an agent? Do you have an agent? And I was like, no, I don't have an agent. No, I don't have an agent. I don't even know if I can have an agent. Um, no, again, no dad or nobody in hockey that I that I could throw this stuff to. Um, eventually, Anaheim's like, we, we want to offer you a contract. Uh, who do we call to do that to? And they're like, if you want, we'll set you up with an agent. And I was like, ah. Uh, that sounds like a terrible idea. Hold on. Right.
2: It does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea. Hold on. So I call uh I ended up calling Neil Sheehy, and uh he, he ended up being my agent and that's how it went down. Okay. So
0: And then you ended up signing with Anaheim. Yeah, so I ended up right. signing with
1: Anaheim, yep. After you got a ring there, year. didn't you? Yep. So
0: Yeah, yeah, talk about that, man. That was your first full pro season?
1: Yeah, so I did not want to leave school and that's probably part of the reason why I was comfortable saying uh buzz off to some of these agents cuz I didn't want to leave. Uh, yeah. I had a good thing going and I wasn't in a hurry and um but as I as I started to reflect on my sophomore year, I had a good year. Um and I was an undrafted free agent, so the following year it's not like I was a draft pick, and so nothing's guaranteed. Uh, I could be hurt, teams could move on, they could fill that void, lots of things could change. Um, I still was ready to roll the dice and gamble. Uh, Then all of a sudden David Backus, who I played with in college, he left. Uh, The the D-man that ran our power play decided he didn't want to play college hockey anymore, and he ended up leaving the goal play professionally in Finland. And then two guys from my class ended up getting in a little trouble with uh, the authorities and kicked out of school. So now the team that I wanted to come back and play for, um, this. Totally different team. Totally Is that different Pito, team. The D man? Totally. What's that?
2: Was Pedo, the D man you're talking about?
1: Yep, Kyle Pedo. Yep,
2: I remember him. Okay.
1: Yep, so he ends up leaving and it's a totally different team. And I'm like, I, I just don't know if I can duplicate what I did. Now I have this chance. And. Um, the the way the dates work out july 1 is the day to make that big decision and anaheim was like we want to know we want to know and i said no and then the dominoes start to fall david leaves and by like the 7th of july anaheim calls back to like hey one more chance bud because uh, we're going to move on to our next guy you, you don't have david anymore you don't have this guy things have certainly changed but uh if you want to sign we're going to give you one more chance and um yeah, ultimately I decided I was in southern Minnesota, like Marshall, Minnesota, installing office furniture for Corporate Express. And I had to, I had to tell the two guys that I was working with because I was low man on the totem pole uh, at like 12 in the afternoon. I was like, hey guys, uh, this is crazy, but um, I'm going to sign a deal to play for Anaheim. And uh, they want me to get on an airplane tonight in Minneapolis, so I, we have to leave right now. And they're like, what? No way. Awesome. So we pack up the truck. <laughs> we pack up the truck and we drive three deep right to, uh, right to the airport in Minneapolis. My mom meets me with a bag.
2: That's super cool. Wow.
0: That's awesome, dude. So then you board, you head to Anaheim. And then uh, what's that first year like, or I guess that first pro camp
1: like? Man, see, I, I'm such an idiot. Uh, I, I was, they, they told me you're going to play in Portland and you know this is this is the big club um you know you you're a good player we believe in you but you're going to start off in the American League and I was totally cool with that so like you're playing in Portland that's where our minor league affiliate is i didn't mm-hmm. even do any research i uh i was like getting all ready to drive to portland oregon turns out it was portland maine i didn't even have the right side of the country like <laughs> I, I, I couldn't have been more wrong i couldn't have been more wrong so Uh, I go there and again it's another eye-opener you know like you uh, every level up you go I think guys become more and more protective of opportunity and the weird part about playing professional hockey in the minors is your competition is not the guy that you're playing against it's the guy that you're playing with right because you want to be the guy that's called up to the big clubs so you got to outperform not the guy right in front of you that you're facing off against. But the guy to your left, the guy to your right, and all those guys. So you got to find a way to be a, man. a good teammate, right? But yeah. you, you also got to find a way to be better and stand out from your own teammates. So it's a little unique in that way. Um, so you can, you can run into guys that are protective and oppressive and uh, a little sneaky in, in ways to, to keep you and your game and your opportunities down. Uh, so they look a little bit better. Um, I ran into some of that. Learned a handful of things, uh, but yeah, ended up being a black ace and um, surviving long enough to play in the playoffs for Anaheim that year, and then um, played just enough to, to win a cup. Yeah, so you got called, did you get called up, what, like,
0: towards the end of season?
1: the or season? How that work? The season, that I played the entire year in the American Hockey League, and okay. we did not make the playoffs, which was unfortunate, and it, it was a negative thing, but it turned out to be a positive for me because the big club keeps a handful of guys around. They'd prefer if their minor league affiliate still plays so that guys are still in game shape and game action as they Mm -hmm. go further along in the playoffs. In case they need bodies, they call them up and the guys are game ready. Well, having not played in the playoffs, they needed guys around. So we went, there was probably six of us that went to Anaheim and we just practiced every day. We weren't allowed to be around the team, um, but we practiced. So if, if the big club practiced at ten thirty in the morning, we were on it. We were on it eight thirty. Uh, just a six man bag skate for an hour, pucks, battles, <laughs> you name it. Um, then off the ice, off ice workout, disappear like a fart in the wind. And did that for a couple of weeks, but did it enough and must have made an impression enough to practice with the big club. Got a couple of practices in with the big club, and then before I knew it, I was in a game. Okay, so in in the playoffs. Yep. My first NHL game was in the Western Conference Finals. Oh, really? Wow, that's crazy. How were the nerves with that one? Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) My heartbeat had my butt bouncing off the bench. Um, (laughs) Felt your pulse in your ass. So I'm sitting in the hotel room in Anaheim, and my phone rings from a nine nine two zero or 973, whatever the the zip code was. um, And I don't answer it. I screen it. I'm like, oh, who's this? I screen it. And then I get the phone call back and, all right, listen to the voicemail. It's, hey, this is Dave Farish, who was the assistant coach. He says, I hope you're not out on the beach because if you come in with a sunburn tomorrow, the coaches are going to be pissed uh, and it's going to hurt because you're in the lineup. You're playing. Come ready to play. Give me a call. So I call him right back, like 30 seconds. He's like, wait, wait, I'm not on the beach. No chance I'm on the beach. I am in my hotel room. I am stretching, you know. (laughs) So uh, I show up the next day and, uh, yeah, I end up playing. But West okay. final, West final, and I sat on that bench that first game, and right to my side was Timo Solani. And by that time, <laughs> wow. he had had, uh, you know, enough success in his career to be a Hall of Famer. And that game was the furthest he had ever been in the playoffs in his career, and it was my very first. And I was like, "Oh boy, do not screw this up for Timo." <laughs> <me.">
2: How <laughs> many shifts did you? Were you, were you? I think you were fourth line, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That,
1: We played uh, the fourth line. That was a three-line team, and it was a three-line league back then. Um, We probably played four minutes a night. Which I'm sure you
2: were probably fine with.
1: Oh, you kidding me? I wanted to play one shift a night.
2: (laughs) So
0: you were were just banging bodies out there, being physical, not getting scored on.
1: Right, exactly. So, um, exactly. And it goes like this. I jump out on the ice, and I'm with Brad May and – Another big, yeah, oh yeah, he's a bruiser, right? Yeah, he's Mayday, a... yeah, big guy. And Mayday kind of, kind of gets beat by Matthew Schneider and, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm sorry, Chris Chelios up the ice. So it's Chris Chelios and Bertuzzi. Now I got to make a decision. I make the decision to pressure Chelios, and he. He needles one through me and finds Bertuzzi on the back door. They score minus one, my first shift. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. Your first shift? My first shift, yeah. Oh, so boy. I, I go back to the bench and I was like, well, that was awesome. The NHL is awesome. It is legitimately that good. Oh, my gosh. Well, at least I got one game in. Way to go. And uh, management came up to me after that game and they just said, hey, but don't worry about that at all. That wasn't your fault. You made the right read, the right choice. Everything was good. So don't sweat it. Don't think about it. Move on and uh yeah that was uh again a well, very you want to message. talk about
2: two studs too i mean if you're gonna get beat those two i mean you can't feel that bad about that
1: yeah no no i yeah exactly and it's a good story i, I ran into chelios at the masters uh, last year uh, and i told him the story and he was dying laughing i was like yeah you almost i started my career off against you and you almost ended it before it even started <laughs> still one shift wonder
0: um that's awesome. So, take us through the rest of the playoffs and like and winning the cup. How how did that go down?
1: So I finished out the West final playing those games, and then the Stanley Cup final comes around. And uh, Randy Carlisle is a really good coach, and he he you know he he was focused on matchups. And against Detroit, he wanted a little bit bigger body. And against Ottawa, he he maybe didn't need a bigger body. So I didn't play the first three games of that series. Well, Chris Pronger ends up elbowing. Uh, and, by the way, Anaheim, unbelievable team. Uh, I think the first yep. round we, we went it went six games uh, for the we – won, we, won, we won it in five, five, six, five. Wow. That's the best
2: D-pair I've ever seen, ever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, so we either had prongs or needs on the ice at all times every single game. So they each, or that's they,
2: right. It wasn't a pair, but they were covering – yeah. Yep. God, they were good.
1: So we had one of those two guys on the ice at all times, and then we had a checking line that was out there against the other team's top line that – Nobody could, get it. I mean, nobody could get anything going. And it was it was a pretty, looking back at it, I mean, you got to give those guys a lot of credit. It was pretty easy for them. Um, but Randy liked, you know, they had philosophies on size and speed and ways to play, and um, Prongs was a big body. And he ends up elbowing, uh, gosh, I don't remember who it was, but he gets suspended for game four, and they want bigger bodies in. So I play in game four, and... We, we win game four. We come home, and we win it in game five. Uh, I, I'm not dressed in game five, but we're down there in the locker room, and, yeah, it was awesome.
0: So that's when you first got to touch the cup, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. And Anaheim was good. Uh, they, they were pretty inclusive in that sense. So as, the, you know, as it became apparent that we're going to wrap this up and win it, they had uh, the handful of guys that, that played, and, and we're going to be around it throw our gear on quick and, and our jerseys and we okay. all ran out on the ice and so and, that's how it works all right and celebrated yep and they, they dress you up
0: yep okay sweet um i was gonna ask you too did, what'd you do
1: with your day with the cup day with the cup so i struggled with this mentally for a while because i didn't really feel like i wanted though some regards playing an entire year in the american hockey league and then finding a way to 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 jump into a playoff lineup and and play some games is actually harder than some of the seasons I had, uh, you know, playing in the NHL. But Mm -hmm. um, I didn't feel like I contributed and I didn't really feel like I counted it uh, or like in my heart. So uh, my goal when I had the cup was just to share it with as many people as I could, like uh, try to to make as many people, touch as many people with it as I could. So uh, I brought it to White Bear. I went to the rink, uh, the, the White Bear Lake Sports Center. Had a little bit there, so anybody that wanted to see it, touch it if they weren't superstitious, uh, take a picture, put their kid in it, you name it. Uh, it <laughs> was there for a handful hours. Then flew it down to Mankato. Uh, obviously, Mankato is a big piece of my story, so flew it down there. Had a nice little event down there, then flew it back home. Um, went to St. Paul. My, my family is a St. Paul family. So we we're at mcgovern's in st paul for a while and then on on the late night shift we we took it downtown minneapolis handful of buddies and i on a party bus yeah. and uh we partied uh, like we should have does the so, keeper
2: of the cup go with you on the party bus
1: keeper of the cup is no more than five six feet away from the cup at all times just all i bet time. he's
2: seen some stuff man oh yeah
1: if those guys could write a book yeah <laughs> dude yeah you want to talk about a podcast holy balls right <laughs> i mean that guy jeez but there's, there's cool rules that they enforce. Like they only let the winner hoist the cup, the winner and the winner's father. Um, so let's say somebody else, let's say I'm not around, but the cup is there and somebody goes to grab it and hoist it. You can touch it, but if you go to throw it over your head, that keeper of the cup will come and, uh, yeah, he'll crack the whip. Hey, buddy, you didn't earn that. Put it down. That's really? Awesome. That's oh, good. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot of rules like that where they take care of it and there's honor in it. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. If somebody wants to take a drink from it, like I got to okay it Uh uh-huh yep so it's pretty neat heck yeah sweet
0: man so the following year and then just kind of like progressing did you get a little more time did you make
1: the nhl the the big club the following year right away yeah i made the i made the team out of camp we played the la kings uh in london to start the year so that was a fun trip but uh yep uh, i ended up going getting sent down and playing 10 more games in myers and getting called up again um and then i stayed up for good after that Okay, so you
2: got sent down
1: temporarily. Did you light
2: it up when you went down for 10 games? Ah, uh,
1: You know, unfortunately, in professional hockey, I never lit anything up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I played well, well enough to where they're like, okay,
2: you know, he's, he's probably the guy, you know. Let me ask you this. So it seems to me like anyone who makes it to the NHL was obviously really good, probably the, the best player or one of the best on the previous team, whether it be college, AHL, whatever, right? Right. Do you feel like a lot of times there's guys who, and, and this may even be you, but I, I don't want you to speak necessarily about yourself, uh, but are there guys who could be 20, 30 goal guys, but because they're not on the number one or even the two power player, they're not on the first or second line log and ice, they end up having a career that's very good, but maybe they're not putting up the type of numbers that they could had they been given a chance. I just feel like when I watch third-line guys on a lot of teams now, it's like if that guy's logging first power play minutes or first or second line, he's 30-goal guy. Do you feel like that's – is that accurate or – you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you're you're not you're not wrong at all. Uh, a lot of production is entirely tied to opportunity. And are you getting minutes on the power play? Are you not? Uh, where on the power play? And you'll even have some, you know, quote unquote offensive guys get frustrated on the power play because they're not in their spot on the power play. You know. Sure. And, um But yeah, you're absolutely right. Everybody at the NHL level is a is a good player and. Um, you know, that's why I, you you could argue if you play in the NHL, you're one of the best, you know, what, what is it, like 700 maybe, one of the best 700 players in the world. Yeah. And for me, I always didn't feel that that was the case for me because I think of guys like Lance Malark who was probably a better player than I was, but he just wasn't willing to maybe fight in the moment that he needed to or sure. d- do other certain things in the moment or – to accept a role that maybe wasn't as glamorous for a stretch of time to just buy yourself time to prove that you can do something else. And, right. um, yeah, there's, there's no question that everybody there is good and given opportunity, everybody can probably produce now the elite, the elite can produce. But one way that I always gauge that and look in that is, you know, if you play long enough, you, you can see a pattern. Does that individual make the players around him better? Cause that's truly how you gauge a good player. Mm-hmm. like does that guy could score 20 goals that's great there's a lot of guys that can score 20 goals that they put in a spot but does he make his linemates better does that line mate go from five goals to 10 goals and sure you know and and that's a way for me to look at that because you are right sometimes it is hard to gauge like these guys are all skilled they're all good they all have tools you know
2: let's rip the bandaid off here i'm talking about you and i know you won't and i don't expect you to but i what i say i've seen you play in college i watch you progress i think you're that guy if you're in the right spots but you don't have to corroborate that i'm just i was talking about you
1: yeah well so i mean uh i had a big shot one of my one of my best assets was was my shot yeah i saw was, you on the
2: side wallet man Mankato burying it
1: yeah growing up and it was it was accurate and it was hard and even uh even when i, I jumped onto the pro scene um that that was that's what everybody said like this guy can shoot it and in practice i didn't really know or realize it but yeah i could just i could put it where i wanted and it went there hard and fast and goalies would be like
2: whoa you know right. surprised got and, on them pretty um, quick but i was a play guy
1: so i was never going to get in that spot to shoot those and right. I, I would at the start of every year say okay uh i'm going to try to get 150 shots this year and just know that my shot's good enough to you know give me a high percentage you know um, right. and i'll score more goals i just couldn't generate those shots you know, yep. I couldn't get them, never got in those spots, so I never put up a ton of a ton of points or a ton of goals.
0: So for you, it was just you You think you weren't skilled enough to create the space and the time to get the shot
1: off where you wanted to. He just to.
2: wasn't given the opportunity, yeah. in, in my yeah. opinion. It yeah. just depends on who you stick where sometimes.
1: Yeah, and you will get pigeonholed uh, in professional hockey. So, you know, sometimes, and, and you know, gosh, shoulda, coulda, woulda, and hindsight's always 20-20, but – You know, I could argue that that playing in the NHL right off the bat was a bad thing for me. Maybe a year or two in the American League, where I could score goals, uh, would have changed the tune on me. But uh, I was typecast a fourth line center, fourth line player right off the bat. And there's just no—you look anywhere in the NHL. Go ahead and look anywhere. Doesn't matter the guy's skill set. There are zero fourth line centers on a power play. It's just not going to happen. You know, so um, you, you can get typecast. Uh, and you know pigeonholed into certain roles. But you know at the same time, I can't complain at all because I accepted a role and I was able to play hockey professionally for 10 years having accepted that role.
2: Well, that's what's cool too. So you're modest about this. And I, what, what's neat is that, so if you take a guy like Brian Bond, another white bear guy, he, in my opinion, and this is not a knock on him, he, he had one style of play. And if his play, if he wasn't a one or two in the NHL, he wasn't in the NHL. Whereas you if you're not a one or two you've still got the ability to tailor your game with your size muck it and with up, your speed which to me honestly that's more impressive but that's and, just me who am and, I
1: and you know see and that's why i have envy for guys to go back to our warm up like mario Lemieux, that could do it with their head and just smooth and patient whatever like um part of my You know, it's everybody's got these tools in a box. You keep them in some of my tools. You know, I've got a hammer, um, you know, some sandpaper in that toolbox. And I had to use them at times, you know, and um, it was it was a skill in a box I could check off where some guys wouldn't they just wouldn't want to. And believe me, there are times where I certainly did not want to, um, but I understood that you know, if I wanted some longevity and I I wanted to make a name for myself, you have to be consistent. And if I had to consistently be physical and fight, then that's what I would do. And, um, you know, yeah, it, it sucks, but it it did give me opportunity and it made me versatile.
2: Yeah. Your brand gave you 10 years in the show.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Not a bad brand. No. And it was always, (laughs) it wasn't always guaranteed. I I can tell you that much. It was, uh, I was always on the brink, but, uh, you know, it went by really fast. And, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. Sure. Speaking of uh,
0: that on the brink, so what was it? Would Yeah, about four or five years in, in
1: Anaheim, and then you got traded? Yep, traded. Uh, coach there didn't like me. I got a bunch of stories there, too. We might have to go for, like, podcast. Points. What's it? Was yeah. Like in Carolina? You didn't leave like
2: him, it? Leave him for number two if he's going to give you a chance. Yeah, let's
1: do it, man. <laughs> um, yeah, Anaheim, the – the coach and I, I'm not getting along, and I, uh, you know, I like I said, I was passionate and competitive, and um, you know, I, I would do what I was told for a while, and then I started to push back, and um, eventually got to a point where I was like, I know I'm not going to play here anymore. I'm not in the future plan, so I need to get out, and I was traded to Carolina, tried there, um, the, you know, and it was really a scary time. I thought I was I was I was going to these places to die. Uh, they just needed a warm body, and. You know, I don't think that they were all that competitive. And then I got traded to Florida and I was like, gosh, this is terrible. This is it. I'm going to end it. Uh, this is it. Um, but I still played hard and I tried hard and I competed. And the coach there in Florida, he was uh, a lame duck. But he saw something in me that he liked. And uh, he ends up getting a job in New Jersey that following year and plucks me off of waivers. Go to New Jersey. I almost win a cup there my first year in New Jersey and... That was the, that was the break I needed to to get the second five years. Who who was that coach? Pete DeBoer. Pete DeBoer. Okay. Yes, I so played, I played twelve games for Pete DeBoer um, in Florida. Yep, and uh, on a team that was that was probably trying to bottom out for Jonathan Huberto. and uh huh. Um, they, yep, yep, they got him. Yeah, they got him, um, and they got rid of me. Uh, so <laughs> everybody wins. <laughs> no, but Pete DeBoer, yeah, so I don't know what it was, and uh, I don't know what he liked. Uh, but to this day, Pete and I have a good relationship, and yeah, it was uh, just very just important. from
0: talking to you so far, man. It, like I think one of your big separators, and we touched on it early right away, was your just your competitive nature. Like you're just constantly competitive, and just like that willpower to to do what you got to do to, I guess, survive and and stay in the league, and that that to me seems like. It's just your nature. And he probably saw that, right? He saw that fire. He saw that competitive guy that he wanted to bring with.
1: Yeah, and there, I think there are coaches out there. And, you know, I haven't coached enough, uh, just my my six-year-old daughter, seven-year-old daughter, um, hockey a little bit. But um, I start to really appreciate and notice effort in kids. And, you know, I want to go out of my way to reward the kids that are putting in maximum effort, mm-hmm. Um and I think uh, I'm thankful to have come across a couple coaches that I think share that same sentiment where, you know, I, I would always put in a lot of effort. And if those guys were in a spot um, to reward me in some way, um, knowing that I put that effort in, and that's why it's it's so cliche. People just say, you just got to work hard. But man, when you really put the effort in and people see it, um, you know, those coaches would reward me. Uh, and it was simple at that time it was simple just go to work bud just go to work and uh yeah it it ended up paying off but um there's there's no question without without that competitive drive that i fizzle out real early
0: Mm -hmm. um so then all right so you're in new jersey what was that like that season you guys what you made it to the eastern conference finals is
1: that no Stanley, Stanley, Cup, Stanley Cup final, I mean, we the lost. Cup the, finals. Yeah, we gotcha. the Cup final. We lost the Kings in six games, and I probably had the best stretch. Uh, best stretch. I played the best stretch of hockey in my life in that playoffs. Um, it was just a ton of fun, full of passion. Uh, we had a good line. Uh, we contributed, um, and I reflect on that now, and it, it helps me see value in that first Stanley Cup. I missed that one by a game. Uh, the second one by a game. But for me, it validated that or validated that, you know, hey, man, you were good enough. You you, you do deserve to win. Uh, you did belong. Um, and don't be shameful that you won one that way. Like, you came close. You did it. You contributed. And, um, you know, it It just helped me accept that.
0: Yeah. So um, is that where the line brawl took place then? Was that that same year? Uh
1: Yeah, was that was that in playoffs? No, that was not in playoffs. Regular season. Okay, it was that year. Yep, and we played. So we played the Rangers in the East Final that year. You did. Yeah.
2: Okay. Torts, good guy, huh?
1: Yeah, Torts. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I I I used to skate when I was working at Acceleration. A guy, Mike Lundeen, he's from Apple Valley. I don't know if you know him or not. Sure. Yep. Um but he played for Tortorella and I think they called him Torturella yeah. off the ice. Like he's just, just kind of one of those hard at tough coaches, you know, all business yeah, type and, of
1: dude. And it's his way of the highway. And you know, those coaches, I think they are really successful. I just think that they have a shorter shelf life because their messages can burn guys out quicker. Yeah. Right? You know, they're not labeled as players coaches. They're more of like, like you said, like an abrasive type of a coach. And I think they get the most out of guys and, You get a good team effort and a structured system game with guys like that but uh if if they don't win within a a small time frame and i'm going to say probably three years they probably won't win because uh it just burns them out
2: it's almost like the herb's brooks thing herb brooks thing where it's if everyone hates me they'll come together with a common bond and be better right right but these are all professional adults and that was you get a, sick of that probably pretty and quick. that
0: was a what six month 10 month stint you know where he could be that tough on him for that period of time not three years right you know right um all right so let's why don't we dive into that line brawl what so what's what's like the background with that whole thing obviously new jersey um new york that's a big rivalry just right out of the gate but what else went into that
2: didn't the coaches hate each
1: other too yeah they, oh, they, they hated each other after it um so the Devils uh, and Rangers, obviously, they have some history. Um, they're right across the river from each other out there in New York and eight miles apart, the arenas are. And um, I didn't know a lot about that rivalry, but it's akin to White Bear Lake Hill Murray. Like, it's it's passionate. And okay. I jump right into it. And so the, the story with that is that the Rangers and Corterello, they come into our building and they have to submit their starting lineup first and they submit their, they, they're starting the meet. They're starting the fourth line. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Pete throws out our top line, I think, thinking, Hey, maybe we'll play and we'll sneak one against these guys. I don't know why towards the starting the fourth line, but we'll see. And they run around and they like, they crush Zach, they hit Colby and, I look down at my linemates too and it's like well guys I guess uh, I guess we know what we're doing our first shift <laughs> so we go out and run around I end up fighting Brandon Dubinsky um, and uh, I, I again I hit him good I think I break his nose or his, his orbital bone and he doesn't play the rest of that game uh, fast forward three weeks we're playing uh, the Rangers it's a Sunday afternoon the noon game and on NBC and um, Now we're the visitors. Pete DeBoer decides to submit our lineup, and he's got the meet starting. So (laughs) I'm starting. (laughs) I don't think anything of it. And um, I I just had a uh, sit-down, a Zoom call with these guys. That turns out all the Rangers knew they were fighting. I had no idea because on our board it says Dubinsky's playing, and I had just beat Dubinsky up, and he's probably wearing a bubble. There's no way this guy's fighting me again three weeks after I just broke his face. So... (laughs) um i didn't think i was fighting at all and i get out on the ice and dubinsky slides from the face-off circle back to the point and Stu bickle comes up and he says we're going and i said well yeah clearly i understand that by now i know Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but that doesn't mean i'm going to talk to you yet uh unless i start hollering at dubinsky i was like what are you doing on the ice you shouldn't be out here right now um you know what is torts thinking like this is i found it disrespectful so i was you know, hollering at torts I was like torts get this guy off the ice and pete and torts are yelling at each other and um yeah eventually we end up fighting and i legit had i had blinders on horse blinders i had no clue my wings are going i was just in the moment i had no idea what was going on bickles in my face and it's like all right let's go um so we end up fighting and yeah it turned out to be a big deal maybe one of the last big line brawls that will ever happen because uh, plus
2: doc emmerich dude Doc yeah. Emmer called it, which is as good as it gets.
1: Right, and and you know that again, stars align there because that's the Sunday noon game. Uh, yeah, that's Doc's game, so that was. And awesome. Carter
2: with another right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Did you you got cut when you went down, right?
1: Yeah, so you know I don't think a lot of people know this either, but there's there's two referees and two linesmen, and. The referees will not break a fight up, so they're not getting in the line of fire. But no that's dirty the, work. But that's the linesman's job. Well, the linesman were busy watching the other fight, and I hit Bickle, and Bickle goes down, and um, like the code is you just kind of you leave him be. Well, he, yep. pop, he pops right back up, and he tags me, uh, hits me good, and I don't know if I was split from his fist or hitting the ice, but um, they were definitely related, you know. Um, but there was no lines in there to stop that fight. So, yeah, I did really well right off the bat, really well right off the bat. Uh, then things changed in a hurry. If I'm they would have stepped in play. and stopped
2: it, it would have been just a clean sweep, 10-8 round. <laughs> yeah, it would, have, it would have been nice, yeah. Yeah, go to the card, it's so Carter. <laughs> how did your team receive you after you stood up? I mean, you're not, you're not by any means a little dude, but he – Bickle's, what, six four two twenty. I mean, he's a horse, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a big dude. He's a big. So you,
2: basically, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you took one for the team and did well. How did your team receive that? Yeah, uh,
1: well, I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, the guys played hard, and that team certainly came together. We went on a deep playoff run, and I'd like to think that it's moments like that that bring the club together,
2: so maybe I played a small role there, but um uh, yeah no I mean that brings me to another question then so you kind of so we've all played on different athletic teams and we've all kind of had different personalities on teams and obviously most people don't get to the college ranks let alone professional let alone the highest level of professional but we've all had teams where there's one one guy on the team who's kind of an outcast or maybe an asshole or or there's cliques yeah. you know where this group hangs with them it d- does that does that happen in the nhl too are there clicks or are there certain guys that nobody likes and and also do you notice that the better teams maybe were tighter than some of the teams that weren't as good or can you kind of elaborate on that
1: so i found the nhl to be the hardest in regards to trying to break up or not have clicks cuz uh, at every other phase of athletics you're playing with peers and somebody within two to three years of your own age i mean you think college probably has the biggest disparity from a freshman to a senior that's four years right mm-hmm. now you play professional hockey and you're playing with kids that are 18 years old to i played with the when he was 40 something um so you're playing with people that are the gap is 25 years old so the phases of life are completely different. I mean, you've got guys that are young, single, couldn't be happier on top of the world to guys that are trying to settle down, wives, kids, let's do homework. Um, Now you factor in that you've got other cultural differences that come into play too. So you bring, you bring a 37 year old Russian in and then a 22 year old Swede and you mix all this stuff in a locker room and there's clicks and you know a lot of it's based on language and how they grew up and uh sure. just just the things they know so it is hard and i think you i think if you really did a deep dive on some rosters you'd see that management and clubs like it's not all about the player and you know who makes their team the best right then they look at stuff like that like how, how are the swedes gonna mess with the russians and we we took three swedes in the first round here the last five years and you know, historically, and I'm just saying this, this isn't true. Sure, sure, they they don't they don't play well with checks. So let's you know maybe we got to steer away from some of these checks, or we got a good young check coming up. Maybe we try to deal them for a different kind of prospect, or so. There's uh, that's super interesting. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of stuff like that that goes on, and then you get guys that are real serious about the game, and you know, how, you know, guys that are in tune with their body and taking care of themselves, and then you'll have other guys that you know. They're good at the game because they just are free, and the stress doesn't affect them one bit. They just go out and play, and maybe sure. those guys are chasing beers till two a.m. 2 the night before a game and smoking
2: oh, cigarettes in the intermission. Yeah, everything's different.
1: <laughs> you know, everything's different. But as a pro, you learn that you got to do what you got to do, and sure. uh, things are a little bit different. Certainly, a little bit more clicky. And I think that's why leadership. Um, I, I learned more about leadership in professional hockey than I did anywhere else because. The good leaders found a way to get everybody on the same page at the right time and at least buy into to some types of ideas that that bring your game
2: together that's an awesome answer not what i expected but i think it's safe to say that me and luther just learned more about leadership in the nhl right now than we ever knew so thank you for that
0: yeah so do you think that um at that level at the nhl level it's more on the coach to lead versus like players because I feel like every good team I've ever been a part of, either coaching or playing, I feel like the lead the the players when they're the leaders, that's when the teams are the best versus when like yeah, obviously having a good coach helps, but if you have your players leading, that's when things really take off for me personally. So like do you notice that like maybe in the NHL that it's more on the coach to be the leader or
1: Yeah, no, the I would say the good coaches do not lead at all. Um the, it's the more coach,
0: systems. It's more...
1: The, the coaches drive the bus, but uh, they want... Um, and I think organically it has to be this way that the, the coaches can't go out there and play. You know, a coach can come in and chew your butt, but he's not out there. He's not He's not fighting. Um, he's, he's not, you know, he's not getting run by the big boys. It, it's the players. And you need that voice of the guy that's going through it. It's even hard. Like, you give me a great leader. Um, think of the greatest leader... I don't know, Steve Eiserman, somebody, Joe Sackick, if mm-hmm. they're not playing every single night, their voice gets quieter and quieter. They may say the same stuff, but if you're not walking the walk, what you're yeah. saying just doesn't carry the weight. Mm-hmm. So I think good coaches, smart coaches know that true leadership has to come within the room, and at times they are desperate and they'll try to help manufacture it, but if it's manufactured, it really just doesn't last because eventually you face adversity and the true colors come out. Um, you know, it's going to happen in a seven-game playoff series or four. You know, so. Um, but no, I, I would say coaches they they help try to steer the bus, but it's the players and the leadership group. It's not. It doesn't fall on one captain. It's usually a group of guys um, that that really you know carry the torch.
0: Okay, sweet. Um. So. Let's let's fast forward a little bit to. uh I want to talk about like, what it was like coming back home, playing with the Wild. When, what was that? How did that process
1: come about? So I turned down what would have been my most lucrative deal in New Jersey. Um, that was really hard for me to do. But um, I, I always, as I got further along in my career, I started to make my decisions for different reasons. And um, an exercise I'd use was I'd, I'd put myself at 60 years old with a grandkid on my lap, and I'd, I'd, uh, I thought about the story I want to tell them do I want to tell them about the biggest contract I signed or do I want to tell them about the time I won, the time I won at home, um, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, it was tough to turn down that deal and, you know, a guaranteed job for a couple of years. Um, but I did it and, um, I went a whole summer without a gig and that was nerve wracking and my wife was stressed and she's sweating it out. And (laughs) I was like, you just gotta, I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta believe man. And, you got to be ready and i have all the faith in myself as a player to know that i can play and um, eventually it was crazy again the stars align when they need to um <clears throat> minnesota calls me at the end of their camp they're like we weren't happy <clears throat> excuse me we weren't happy with all our players and uh, we'd like you to come in and uh instantly i was like super excited i was like no way yes this is gonna be unbelievable and then i was like okay well i gotta calm down am i doing this for the right reasons so are they good do they have a chance to win because ultimately, for me, that that's what I was chasing. Um, I still had like an empty feeling uh, about the cup and Anaheim, and I, I wanted to win, and I was willing to do what it took to chase it. And many at the time had suits in Parisi, and they were on the climb. And um, all the buzz was that that next young core, as soon as they get good, they're going to be, you know, they're going to make some noise. And you know that th- that was true. We they made the playoffs six straight eight years, um, but. Uh, i got the chance i signed that deal i came in and ended up playing for Yosi, great coach and that's that's how that went down nice so
0: played a couple seasons there um and then like towards the end was it a shoulder injury that that got you is that
1: am i recalling that right yep yep no exactly so uh the shoulder is what ended it um i I was cleared after my physical, um, which isn't, not abnormal. Um, I started training in the summer and I could, I could feel that something wasn't right. Like I couldn't push weight that I used to be able to, and things were just a little bit different. So, um, it was, and I made, this was, I made the mistake. I really did. Um, I, I called the trainers and stuff and told them about it. And they're like, go get an MRI. This is like two weeks before free agency. And I was like, I can't go get an MRI two weeks before free agency. What's the benefit? I said if I've if I've got an issue, um, I've 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 got an issue. If I don't, uh, you know, I don't. The only thing that can come about is that somebody finds out I have an issue. Because if I don't, I don't have one. And all of a sudden, you know, club doesn't want some banged up guy that's got a torn labrum and needs to be out six months. Um, right. So I called them, and then where it looked like I was going to get a deal, I didn't get a deal, um, and. I went into camp that year on a PTO, professional tryout, uh, and I think I think people knew my shoulder was bad and I wasn't able to play and perform like I needed to and eventually ended up getting the surgery and tried to come back and play. They were good with me. Um, tried to come back and play, uh, and, and I finished my career in the minors there in Iowa, and I just, there, there wasn't enough time. I wasn't ready to play yet, and um, I just wasn't good enough down in Iowa at all. Um, um, yeah, so then that was it. That was all she wrote, eh? That was all she wrote. I had opportunities to play the next year, go to Europe and stuff, but my yeah. my youngest daughter was born, and she has a severe food allergy. And the my wife and I thought about it and we're like, listen, if we can't read the food labels and we're in a different country, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, there's support there, but uh, I'm not 23 anymore. I don't need to chase playing pro hockey. And um, it was a tough. It really was a tough decision, and I, it put some stress on our relationship because. I, I, did, I parts of me did want to keep playing um, but parts of me was ready to be done and it was ultimately for me it was a really good thing that it was a family sacrifice that ended it for me because mm-hmm. I was at peace with that
0: yeah yeah. that makes it easy to transition for sure well dude uh, I appreciate you taking the time man I think that's a pretty good spot to end I don't want to take a ton of your time too much of your time so yeah. appreciate you coming on man that was uh that was fun maybe maybe we can talk post-retirement
1: next time or some other stories yeah get into some of the some of the meat there huh
2: <laughs> ryan yeah. it was good talking to you man that was awesome
1: yeah no thanks guys that, that, that was a lot of fun good catching up uh yeah, yeah. You bet. it was a good idea thanks for reaching out all right guys there
0: it was uh once again appreciate you ryan that was i had a great time there um you know Eric and I were talking after the show, and um, <laughs> we got into some fun stuff there. It was uh, pretty interesting at times, and I'm glad he was able to share um, his experiences with his career and um, some of the off-ice stuff, too. That was obviously pr- pretty fun, pretty interesting, and um, yeah, I think personally, I, I just learned a lot about um, you know the type of competitor that he was and the type of person that he is, and I think for athletes listening or people in general, like just kind of keep that in mind. Like, you know, there's going to be times where you might struggle or or not fit in or, or might not have it or, you know, be in a situation that you like, but that's just where you gotta, I mean, you gotta keep plugging. If you really want it, you can have it. You just gotta, you gotta work and you gotta, you gotta stay with it and grind it out and go get it. So, um, yeah, that was freaking awesome. So, Thanks, guys, for listening. Tune in next time. Until then, learn, try, know, and achieve. Um, babe.